0: Welcome to Keep the Faith, the bi-weekly podcast in which contemporary issues are explored through the prism of Jewish law and tradition. When it comes to contemporary issues, there's no day on the Jewish calendar that's more wrapped up in those issues than Yom Kippur, which begins this Sunday night. That's not the popular perception, but it is the reality. Our topic for this week, therefore, is what's Yom Kippur really about and what's expected of us because of it. Too many people are under the misguided impression that Yom Kippur is the day on which we pray to God to forgive us for eating the wrong kinds of food, for engaging in inappropriate behavior on Shabbat, for not praying three times a day, for not wearing talit or tefillin, and so forth. It is possible, of course, that there is an oblique reference to such behavior in the two confessionals recited over and again on the day, but if such reference does exist, the very fact of its obliqueness ought to tell us that Yom Kippur has very little to do with ritual behavior. Make no mistake, God demands loyalty, and he insists that this loyalty be made manifest through our observance of his commandments, his mitzvot. The only question is, what are the mitzvot, the commandments with which he's specifically concerned on young people? Is ritual the end-all and be-all of what God cares about? Is he really sitting up there making notes about every time we forget to make a blessing before biting into an apple? Or does he consider ritual to be symbols or memory devices that are meant to keep us from straying from that larger set of his laws that deal with how we relate to each other and to the world? you think that this question would be easy to answer. After all, God in his Torah specifically refers to such things as Shabbat, Filin, and Tzitzit as signs, otot in Hebrew. While these otot are vitally important and must be observed, they also must be put into context, and they must be understood for what they are, or else observing them is a wasted effort. Sadly, the fact that God refers to such things as otot, as signs, has little authority nowadays. Religiosity all too often is judged by how we observe these signs, not by whether we get the message of what it is that these signs are for. In the case of Chilin, for example, Strapping a black leather box on our arm each weekday morning and putting another one on our forehead is meant to remind us that in the day ahead, we must not use our hands or our heads to cause harm to other people or to the rest of God's creation. Putting on tefillin but not understanding why we're putting them on makes this meaningless ritual. As for Shabbat, It's not only about us taking a day off from work to recharge ourselves. It's a day for everyone and everything to recharge. And we're commanded to respect their right as well as our own. In other words, this is the ultimate social consciousness commandment. Regardless of who we are, or think we are, regardless of who and what we control, or think we control, for one-seventh of our lives coming every seventh day, we're forced to acknowledge that all people have the same right to rest as we do, that all creatures have the same right to rest as we do, and that even the earth itself has the same right, and no one has the right to take that away from them. God created it all, and He's the owner of it all. Words His caretakers, charged with caring for everyone and everything, and by observing Shabbat, we're reminding ourselves of that. Quote, it is a sign forever. For the Lord created the heavens and the earth in six days, and ceased doing so on the seventh day, and was refreshed. Unquote. If we observe Shabbat, but don't get the reason why we're observing it, and if we don't put that message into practice in the days between one Shabbat and the next, if we we'll don't recognize in this commandment that all of us are equal to each other, and that no one has ultimate power over anyone or anything. We've accomplished nothing as far as God is concerned. Yom Kippur isn't about signs and how we observe them. It's about how we integrate the meaning of those signs into our daily lives. That certainly is the message God delivered to us through the prophet Isaiah. It's even more relevant here. Quote, Such fasts as you do today will not cause your voices to be heard on high, says God. Why desire such a fast, a day for a person to afflict his soul, to bend the head as a papyrus reed does, or to lie down in mourning on the ground covered in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day the Lord wants? Is this not rather the fast I want, that you unlock the chains of wickedness, release the bonds of the yoke, free the oppressed, and to smash all yoke? Is it not that you should share your bread with the hungry and house the destitute poor? To clothe anyone you see who is naked and to not turn away from the needs of your own kin? Doing so is when your light will burst forth like the morning and your healing will begin to blossom. Your righteousness will go before you. Then when you call, the Lord your Savior will respond and say, Here I am. If you remove the yoke from your midst, the threatening finger, the sinister speech, and instead show compassion to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the famished, then your light will shine in the darkness. If you refrain from treating my Shabbat with contempt by doing as you please on my sacred day, and you honored it by not seeing to your own affairs, nor strike bargains on it, then you may rejoice in the Lord." Simply stated, based on this prophecy, The 25 hours of Yom Kippur have a lot more to do with how we behave towards each other 24-7, 365, and towards the world God gave us, than how we observe God's ritual signs. Yes, God mentioned Shabbat observance in that prophecy, but notice that it's not about how we observe Shabbat, rather it's about how we misuse a day that's deliberately set aside to give everyone the same day off to refresh themselves and even to give our animals that same day to refresh themselves. When we go about our business, when we use the day to make business deals or to work in our fields, if that's the business we're in, then we're not giving anyone or anything else the chance to refresh themselves, and we're not recognizing that we're all equal to each other. The fact that the rabbis of two millennia ago chose this prophecy to be the prophetic reading on Yom Kippur morning suggests that this is how they understood it as well. Indeed, the last Mishnah in the Tractate Yoma, which deals with issues relating to Yom Kippur, would seem to confirm this. For transgressions as between man and God, Yom Kippur obtains atonement. But for transgressions as between man and his fellow, Yom Kippur does not obtain any atonement until he has pacified his fellow." Some authorities seek to make this even more explicit by arguing that the existence of Yom Kippur in and of itself achieves atonement, quote, for transgressions between man and God, unquote. As soon as the sun sets on Sunday and Yom Kippur begins, they would argue, those sins are cleared away. On the other hand, for transgressions between man and his fellow, Yom Kippur is useless, quote, until he has pacified his fellow, unquote. God has no power to absolve us of our sins against other people or any part of God's creation. We can fast all we want on Yom Kippur and pray as fervently as we can and beat our breasts at every mention of every confession. It's of no use without some act of contrition made to each person we harmed during the year. That same mission, however, goes further. Saying we're sorry and having our apology accepted, this too is a prerequisite, is equally ineffective to achieve atonement unless it's followed by a conscious change in our behavior. Quote, if one says, I will sin and repent, sin again and repent again, no opportunity is given to him to repent because repentance obviously has no meaning to him. If one says, I will sin and Yom Kippur will secure atonement for me, Yom Kippur secures no atonement for him. Quote. But another way, this is yet another condemnation of the ritual for its own sake. Going through the motions of Yom Kippur, a day packed with ritual, no matter how zealously we go through those motions, achieves nothing. It's how we act after Yom Kippur ends, and on all the days that follow until the next Yom Kippur, that matters. I'll discuss this aspect near the end of the podcast. Fortunately, the Yom Kippur liturgy supplies us with a checklist of sins we do need to atone for, in the form of the Didri Rabbah, a great confessional, a series of Alchets for the sins of, that we recite over and again during Yom Kippur, ten times in fact in traditional synagogues. Consider some of the al the for the sins of, that we recite on Yom Kippur. For the sin we have committed before you with the utterance of the lips. For the sin we have committed before you in speech. For the sin we have committed before you by impurity of lips. For the sin we have committed before you by folly of the mouth. The sin we have committed before you by levity, by deliberate lying, by slander, by the conversation of our lips, by tail-bearing. That's nine sins right there, better than one out of every five on the list. This focus on what comes out of our mouths becomes even more overwhelming if we throw in some of the others on the list, like for insincere confessions, and vain oaths, and hasty condemnation, each of which also involves speech, and each of which has a very specific focus. The sin we have committed before you with the utterance of the lips, for example, refers to words that tarnish the name of another person. The sin we have committed before you in speech, on the other hand, refers to truths that are spoken about someone else. There's nothing wrong about speaking truthfully, on the contrary. The problem here, though, is that we speak the truth for the wrong reason, not because the truth needs to be told, but for one nasty reason or another. And then there's, for the sin we have committed before you by impurity of lips. This refers to obscene talk. That doesn't mean just the use of nasty words. Obscene talk is any kind of talk that suggests a lower standard of morality on the part of the speaker. Nowadays, it doubtless extends to emails as well and all the other social methods of communicating. The sin we have committed before you by folly of the mouth refers to telling jokes at someone else's expense, especially if that person appears to be good-naturedly accepting of the ribbing. You don't really know how that person actually feels inside. The sin we have committed before you by levity, on the other hand, involves making light of a situation someone else considers serious. For the sin we have committed before you by deliberate lying, needs no explanation. At least I hope it doesn't. That would also seem to cover for the sin we have committed before you by slander. But it doesn't, because slander is a unique form of lying. It's a lie that's deliberately meant to hurt someone in a concrete, tangible way. On the other hand, for the sin we have committed before you by tail-bearing, doesn't have to be a lie, and doesn't even have to be deliberately hurtful. It merely has to be telling a friend or acquaintance something that person does not need to know about someone else. Finally, for the sin we've committed before you by the conversation of our lips is idle chatter that deflects our thoughts from important matters. That's almost a quarter of all the sins we're confessing to in the Great Confessional, which gives you a good idea about what the rest of the sins are about. The only way it seems to avoid any of these particular sins is to keep our mouths tightly shut at all times only that doesn't work either. There is, for example, for the sin we have committed before you by wronging our neighbor, which includes under it the sin of silence. Not speaking out in defense of someone else to that person's detriment is wronging that person. And the fact is, we never have to say a word to commit any of these sins. We can listen to someone else speak and be just as guilty. One, because we didn't stop that person from sinning, and two, Because we encourage that person to sin by lending him or her our ear in the first place and not telling that person that he or she was being inappropriate in the second place. Actually, we don't even need another person around. All we need to do is watch some of the so-called reality TV shows to be guilty of one or more of these sins. Given the state of opinion-driven journalism today and the obsession for scandal, all we need to do is watch any television news program or read a newspaper, for that matter, to commit these sins. Each time we watch, we add to the ratings. Each time we read, we add to the circulation. In other words, we encourage a continuation of this behavior. So keeping our mouths shut doesn't avoid sinful behaviors. Sometimes our eyes do the talking for us, or our ears. There's a qualifier here, though, because there's also the need to know. We can't avoid news programs, newspapers, at least we shouldn't avoid them. But we do need to question what we hear or read, and perhaps, when possible, to do some research of our own to establish what's truth, what's false, and what's partisan hyperbole. Then there's sinful meditating and baseless hatred and envy on that list. All of these involve thoughts, the substitute for speech, which means sins can involve our minds, not just our mouths. By now, you probably think that no one can live like this. And thus, atonement is unachievable, thereby making Yom Kippur meaning this. Fact is, however, that although we translate the word chet as a sin, it actually means to miss the mark. Making the effort to hit the mark is just as important, or more so, than actually hitting it. I'm as guilty of some of these sins as anyone else. All God asks is that we do our best from year to year to change, to get a little better than before. I still have a ways to go, but Yom Kippur comes every year and I get a chance to increase the better. There's much ritual connected with Yom Kippur, too. Yom Kippur is not about ritual sins. It's about improving the world by improving ourselves. We'll never be perfect, but we can always be better than we were before. All of us need to consider how we live and how we act to those around us and to change that which is wanting in us. Then we need to consider how we live and how we act to the world at large, and what our responsibilities are to that world, to change that which is wanting in us in that regard. In the end, after all, we are Am Yisrael, the people of Israel, God's kingdom of priests and holy nation, tasked with teaching the rest of the world by how we live our lives, how all lives should be lived. Only in that way can we fulfill our mission to help create a better world than the one we have right now. So now that we know what the High Holy Days in Yom Kippur especially are really about, the only question left to answer is whether at the end of Yom Kippur, if we confess hard enough and even sincerely enough, and if we understand what it is we're confessing to, will we be forgiven for having committed these sins? The answer is not a chance. There's no such thing as sincere confession by words alone, at least not in Judaism. The High Holy Days, in Yom Kippur especially, are not some extended stay in a confession booth. It's only when Yom Kippur ends that repentance actually begins, because we have to put our words into actions. Actions speak louder than words, and for God to forgive us requires action, not words. God doesn't care what we say we're going to do. God cares only about whether we've done what we said we would. Yom Kippur is a gift. We lead busy lives, and our lives are filled with many distractions, but figuring out who we are and who we want to be takes a lot of work. God carved out a 25-hour span of time from our busy lives to enable us to do that work. This year, let's all make the best use of this most precious gift. May this year be the year in which all people come together as the one family we really all are, and may also be the year in which this pandemic made a thing in the past. This is Rabbi Shammai Engelmayer. I do hope you come back from a next podcast. And I'd like to hear what you have to say about this or my other podcasts. Go to www.shammai.org, www.shammai.org, S-H-A-M-M-A-I-dot-O-R-G and email me, please. If you don't get the Jewish standard but want to read my columns, go to the columns page of my website. Shabbat Shalom. Stay healthy. Keep taking all COVID-19 precautions, including wearing N95 masks in public no matter who tells you otherwise. Have an easy fast on Sunday night and Monday. And- Above all, stay safe.